Hey there, my name is Jonathan Galvan, and I'm one of the pastors at Redeemer. Uh, we're so glad that you're tuning in to this sermon, and we pray that this sermon would be an encouragement to you. So please enjoy. Amen, and good morning, and happy new year. We did it. Not only did you make it to 2023, but you survived the boil mandate of 2023. It is, uh, it's downhill all the way. Uh, actually, I don't know that. Could be a rough year, but God is faithful. Uh, but we survived that. I've heard of snow days. You've heard of ice days. It was fun to have a, a poop water day to get to hang out with the kids. So... If you're new to Midland, welcome, glad that you're here. If you're new to Redeemer, welcome, glad that you are here as well. In 1960, uh, the, what would become the Super Bowl, uh, which uh, would not be named that for a few more years, it was the NFL championship, and it was between the uh, the Packers and the Eagles, Packers being led by the great Vince Lombardi. Everybody say Lombardi. I don't know why I did that. Uh, one of the greatest coaches in the history of the world, yet he would lose that game by four points, 13 to 17. Uh, his team had put in an incredible year. They'd worked so hard, and they it just kind of fell apart there in the last few minutes. And uh, they were all excited, spent all their time in the offseason ramping up and thinking, we're going to come back in 1961 is our year. And so they show up to the first day of spring training, uh, getting prepared for the season, and they have high expectations thinking we were so close, we just have to tweak a few things and then we will win. And uh, Vince Lombardi, coach, shows up on day one for training that year. And um, th there's a biographer that writes a story about him. And he says that he showed up, he got all 38 members of the team and they sat down and he held in his right hand a pigskin is what the biography says. And it says that he looked at all of his teammates and he said, some of y'all know this quote, this is a football and that is how he began, and really he started an annual tradition by saying that, where he would begin with the basics and the fundamentals every year, and they would go on to win the Super Bowl that year, 61, 62, 65, 66, 67, uh, become this incredibly dominant uh, team in what would be the Super Bowl. And really, it, it kind of comes back to him being a man of the fundamentals and the basics. Now, that brings my visual aid portion of the service to a close. Uh, that might be the last one that you get for this year. I don't know. Uh, probably the last sports reference you'll get to the year, and I'll get back to just uh, elk hunting references. This is what? It's a Bible. It's not a pigskin, I don't think. I think it's some type of uh, cowhide split leather. But what I want to do, uh, not just today, but January, is to lay before us the very simple, basic fundamentals that we can never get beyond. And uh, most of you, if you've been around Redeemer, you knew this was coming. We are talking about what does it mean to be a gospel-centered, missional family, and especially for the month of January, I am laying before you, this is our mission. It is so basic and so simple, yet we cannot get away from it. Uh, the great coaches of history have been basics and fundamental people. Uh, the great athletes of history, they, they never get away from the basics and the fundamentals. I read that Michael Jordan spent a lot of time, even after years and years in the NBA, as an MVP, dribbling and shooting free throws because you can't ever get beyond the basics. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, uh, because it's incredibly 
important that churches never get away from the basic foundational mission that Jesus has given us to do. Um, so new year, maybe new you, uh, but for us, new year, same mission. Amen. Let's try that again. New Year's same mission, amen? Uh, if we don't, so because we've got new people all of the time coming into the church, and if we don't constantly call ourselves back to the gospel and the great commission of making disciples, and we just simply assume those things, then we will inevitably drift from those things. Uh, Peter Greer and Chris Horst uh, wrote an interesting book called Mission Drift, uh, which many of you have read it. Uh, and in Mission Drift, they talk about the proclivity for any organization, especially a faith-based organization, and particularly churches, if we don't constantly come back to the basics and the fundamentals, we inevitably drift away from them. Uh, they look at a few case studies, the YMCA being one of those. Uh, in fact, the YMCA has drifted so far from their original mission uh, that you might not even know what their original mission was. The YMCA stands for the Young Men's Christian Association and it had a lot to do with being Christ-centered and reaching young men. And uh, they look at this to say that uh, over the years they quit focusing on their mission and they drifted so far that they lost three quarters of the letters in their name. That it's no longer about uh, young, it's not about men, it's not about Christian, not to say it's not a good thing, but it is very different than the original mission. Uh, they look at Harvard and most of the Ivy League schools as well, that if you know this, you know they started out trying to train train people for the ministry of Jesus Christ. And uh, what is taking place now at Harvard is very, very different. Not to say that it is not good, but it is a far cry from their original mission. And if churches, we ever assume the gospel or the mission of the church, then inevitably we will drift from it. So you've heard this from me now for seven years. This is our seventh uh, birthday this month as a church, uh, and we're never going to get away from the basics and the fundamentals, uh, calling people and reminding us of the gospel and the mission that Jesus has given us. I want to give you a little bit of a visual for what mission drift can look like for a church. Uh, up on the screen here is a picture of a cruise ship. Anybody ever been on a cruise? Maybe you went on one over the holidays. Maybe you didn't. I've never been on one. It sure looks like fun. Uh, that was uh, the funnest picture that I could find of a cruise ship. Uh, looks like fun. Basically, you show up and you get weighted on hand and foot. It's about fun, right? It's about food. It's about ice sculptures. Uh, it's about people serving you. It's about not having to do anything and really just showing up and getting all of your needs met and kicking back, relaxing, having fun. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between this and this next picture. Cue the next picture. This is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship, okay? And to be specific, this is the USS Texas. Everybody say amen. This is the battleship Texas that was commissioned in the early 1900s that spent a lot of time in World War I. And when it was sent out in 1914, it was, um, it was named the most powerful weapon in the world. And you would expect nothing less from Texas, right? 
on a, on a battleship, it's like they both float, they both carry passengers, they both look, look similar in, in a lot of ways, but they are wildly different. On a battleship, you have a lot of people and every single person that's a crew member on this ship has a job. They're very different jobs. There are communications experts, there are cooks, there are uh, medical experts, there are soldiers, there are um, pilots. There, there, there's a lot of different jobs and they all work together to help the people on the boat accomplish the mission to win the battle, to win the war. Which one is the church? Cruise ship or battleship? Battleship. Jesus has created the church with a very specific mission to accomplish, has given every single person in the church, every Christian that belongs to Jesus that is filled with the Holy Spirit, has given them a job, a role for all of those things to work together to help us accomplish his mission. And if we don't constantly come back to the basics of the gospel and the mission, we will inevitably drift towards a cruise ship and churches that quit bringing people's hearts and attentions back to the most basic elements of the gospel that Jesus has lived in our place. He's done everything for us. And now we belong to God by the grace of Christ through faith. If we ever get away from that, if we ever get away from the basic mission that we're looking at today, that we exist to make disciples, churches will turn to cruise ships where it just becomes about uh, coming and getting our needs met. And what happens in most churches where you see this drift is they move from trying to help people understand how they can be disciples of Jesus and make disciples of Jesus to just simply counting numbers and making sure that people are in seats and it, it shifts from mission to entertainment is what it does. Uh, trying to just make sure that people are entertained so that they come back next week uh, and then the church just does goofy, goofy, goofy things if we move from mission to entertainment. Because if you try to keep people by entertainment, you have to keep raising the level of entertainment until all of a sudden it's like th this, is, this is a cruise ship, this is not a battleship. And so I want to spend some time for the entire month of January, really looking at what does it look like for us to be a church and a people that are on the very simple, very basic, yet incredibly profound mission to make disciples. So Matthew, I want, I want you to go to two places. Uh, so get, uh, get, a, get a bookmark in two places in Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, these will both be on the screen, Matthew 4 and Matthew 28. And what these two different chapters do is they really serve as bookends to the ministry, the life's work of Jesus. Okay, uh, the book of Matthew is one of the four biographies, we call them the gospels that really tell the story of the life of Jesus. Uh, Matthew's 28 chapters long and, and the first three chapters really just kind of catch us up to speed on his birth and his lineage. Uh, but by chapter four, that's the beginning of his public ministry. That's the first bookend that we'll read first to see what Jesus is up to at the beginning of his ministry. And then Matthew 28 is after his death, after he rises from the tomb and he puts the second bookend on his ministry. That's where I want to spend some time uh, this morning. So if you are in Matthew chapter four, give me some help and some energy by saying ready. This is bookend number one to the life of Jesus Christ, the ministry that he had. He says this in verse 18. 
while walking by the Sea of Galilee. And if you're new to Christianity, the Sea of Galilee is in Israel. That's where Jesus spent a lot of his time, uh, his stomping grounds for especially his early ministry. He was walking by the edge of the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, you've heard of him, and Andrew, Peter's brother. They were casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. And he said to them, first bookend, he calls these men, Peter and Andrew, and he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Bookend number one, he, you can already tell with Jesus, he is on a mission to make disciples. That's what that, that means when he says, follow me, and you're going to find this out later. He's giving these two men and then 10 more an invitation to be disciples, okay? Disciples and followers, synonymous. Follow me is him saying, I, I want to invite you to, to be my disciple. But then the other side of the coin, he says, and I will make you fishers of men. Book in number one, he's saying, I want you to be my disciples and I'm going to teach you to make disciples. That's how Jesus starts his ministry. You follow me and I'll turn you into something that can replicate. You follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately... They left their nets and they followed him. So they said, sounds good to me. They dropped their livelihood. They changed career paths. They stepped into this, what would become a three and a half year journey where they learned two predominant things. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And what does it look like to help make followers of Jesus? Like that's the, this is a football of the mission of the church. It's so basic, so simple. Yet if we assume it, I think it's safe to say many of us will not be actively doing it. So Matthew 4, he gives this invitation and they immediately left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother. They were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, doesn't say exactly what my hunch is that he said probably the same thing. You come follow me and I'll teach you how to make fishers of men, be fishers of men. He called them and immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. Bookend number one to Jesus's ministry, you see Jesus incredibly focused at making disciples that will make disciples. Are y'all with me? Okay, now let's fast forward to Matthew 28. So we're gonna bypass all of his life and ministry for just a moment and get to the, the second bookend, which is what we call the great commission, okay? The great commandment, some have called it the great omission, may that not be true of us. Matthew chapter 28, to put this in the timeline, you know, most of you know this, this is after his teaching after his ministry, after his healing, after his death, after his resurrection, he calls his disciples, his followers, those who had learned what it means to follow Jesus and those who had learned what it means to help others follow him. He calls them all together and then he gives them their marching orders. This is how Matthew records in Matthew 28 verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples, which was the original 12 minus Judas, who had betrayed our Lord, the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So this is even very similar location. 
Book in one, Matthew four, Sea of Galilee. At the end, Jesus tells them, when I die, when I rise, I want you to meet me in this place. Very specifically calls them back to that place. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Some were still confused at his death and resurrection and had some doubts. And Jesus came and he said to them, quote, red letters, and I assume if you were one of the disciples, you're leaning in, you're on the edge of your seat. Like, what is the risen Messiah about to tell us to know or to believe or to do? And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's quite an intro, isn't it? <laughs> all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me with the entire thrust of all authority of the cosmos. Jesus is about to tell them something. And this is what he says. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then functionally somewhat of a mic drop and Jesus ascends and the church gets to work. The disciples get to work making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. So bookend, Jesus begins his ministry by inviting people to be disciples and make disciples. And then at the end, he turns them loose to do what they had been trained to do. And if you look all the way through Matthew, what you find is that from bookend to bookend, Jesus's ministry was in large part trying to train these people. And that number would grow from 12 to hundreds before his death and resurrection. But he would spend that time in between the bookends trying to make disciples that make disciples. It was the mission of Jesus as he was preparing to live a perfect life, to die substitutionary death. He was preparing people to take that mission to the world. Now, how, I want to look at two things uh, for this morning. How did Jesus do that? Between the bookends, how did he actually go about trying to make disciples that make disciples, and then we'll translate that to ourselves. What does that look like for us? If you're a Christian and want to be faithful to Jesus and faithful to the mission, how do we get involved in doing the one simple thing that he has given us to do? So let me define, uh, before we keep going, a disciple, okay? Uh, a disciple is, uh, we've already kind of called it a follower, uh, and there's a fantastic book out there that I would highly recommend uh, called Not a Fan, uh, which uh, says there's a very big difference between being a fan of Jesus and just kind of like cheering him on and being super excited about who he is and, and being a follower of Jesus. But I've crafted a, a, a functional definition of a disciple uh, that I hope will be helpful for us uh, today and this month. Uh, this is what I believe is behind the heart of Jesus when he's inviting us to be disciples and make disciples. This is my definition. A disciple is a person driven by the gospel of grace, meaning we've already been moved by the grace of God and know that we're accepted by God because of Jesus's resume, not because of our own. And so therefore, we're not trying to learn to obey so that we get something. We're trying to obey because we already have something. Y'all with, with me? Uh, a person who's driven by the gospel of grace, know we're already accepted, who learns to live as Jesus commanded us and helps others do the same. 
That, that's a very simple, very workable definition of what does it mean to be a disciple. So how did Jesus go about making disciples that would make disciples? Uh, a lot of commentators and books that I've read recently would really very cleanly put uh, his actions into three different categories. The first one is instruction. Uh, the second one is imitation. And the third is replication, okay? Uh, the first stage where Jesus would use to try to help people be, be his disciples was instruction. He would teach them things, give them information that they did not have about the kingdom of God, the values of the kingdom, because it's hard to live like Jesus wants us to if he doesn't tell us that, right? So stage one is instruction. He would instruct, and it would begin from th this, this bookend in Matthew 4 where he says, I'm going to make disciples that make disciples, and then he launches directly into the Sermon on the Mount, which we spent a big chunk of the fall looking at, right? Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, this is the kingdom. These are the values of the kingdom. This is what prayer looks like. This is what repentance look, looks like. This is what it looks like to serve and to be a servant. This is what it looks like to suffer. This is what it looks like to be persecuted for your faith. This is what uh, the, the, how you use money in the kingdom. This is what marriage looks like in the kingdom. He just launches into instruction, giving information to Christians so they know what they're supposed to do, right? And then you get to the end and Jesus says, go make disciples by teaching them, okay? Teaching them to obey. So there's a huge portion where Jesus was teaching and he was preaching and he was giving instruction. Basically what he is doing with that is he is giving us the what, the what to obey, Okay, uh, second section where Jesus spent a lot of his time, where I think uh, a lot of times in our culture, we, we don't put nearly as much emphasis on this, yet I think it's incredibly necessary, incredibly powerful, is the imitation portion, where Jesus gave them the information. This is what it looks like to follow me. These are the commands. But then he invited them into just experience life with Jesus every day, waking and, and living and going to bed for three and a half years. Years where now they knew the information, but they actually got to see in Jesus's life how he did that. And, and there's, there's a reason for, for the incarnation. Like, why did God think it was necessary to send his son in bodily form, not just send us a manual on life? Why? Because a living, breathing example is so incredibly important. And many of you know this. If I give you a chance to share a little bit of your journey or your testimony of following Jesus, of learning what does it mean to be a disciple, there's probably going to be some information involved. And almost every time there is a human being involved where you saw, oh, that's what it looks like to be a servant. Like I get it, I've got the information, but this person that I can now imitate, they help me connect the dots. Oh, that's what it looks like to be a faithful wife. Oh, that's what it looks like to be a faithful husband. Oh, that's what it looks like to raise your kids to love Jesus. Oh, that's what it looks like to be faithful with wealth when you're given. Oh, that's what it looks like to suffer really well. So not only does Jesus instruct and inform and teach and preach, uh, he provides an imitation, a, a mentorship, a living, breathing example for them to follow. So he would preach all of these things and just reveal to them what they were supposed to do, but then they got three years to see Jesus actually do it. 
Uh, I did this years ago where I walked through uh, all four of the gospels just simply looking at this. What did Jesus command the disciples to do? And every single thing he commanded them to do, you can find him doing every single one except one. You never find Jesus repenting of sin. But everything else, he's like, you need to serve. Oh, watch me. Here's how you serve. Here's how you wash feet. You need to care for the poor. Oh, watch me. Here's what it looks like. You need to suffer well, even to the point of, you remember the, all the times when he invites them to, to be prepared to die well, and then Jesus would show them exactly what that looks like. I think a way in which Jesus was so effective at making disciples was not just his clarity of instruction, but he was a living, breathing example for what that looks like. And Paul would do the same thing. As, as Paul takes this commission from Jesus very seriously, Paul spends his ministry to make disciples that make other disciples. Uh, he teaches and preaches a lot, and he gives the information, and then he opens up his life as an example. Two different texts that come to mind quickly for me uh, is one when he says, I, I want you to follow me as I am following Jesus. And then in Philippians 3, he says, look around your church. Look around the local gathering of saints that you've been given. There's some that are faithful, that are living, not perfectly, but they're good examples. And Philippians 3 says, God has given them to you as a pattern. Okay, as a pattern. So number one, Jesus uses instruction. He gives information. He teaches. He preaches. Number two, uh, he provides us a, a, a living, breathing example that we can imitate. Now, before I go on to number three, I think one of the challenges in the current cultural context that we live in the West uh, is that uh, oftentimes because we're so busy and there's so many things that are uh, vying for our time, we try to kind of remove that whole second portion and boil discipleship down to just simply information and classes and programs. And I think a lot of us get stuck in, in, in really not just knowing what Jesus told us to do, but actually embodying the life of Christ because it's hard to truly become a disciple with just information and not a living, breathing example of what it looks like. So sometimes we just kind of boil it down to information. If you go to all the classes and get all the information, you'll be a disciple, but that's not the way Jesus discipled. That's not the way Paul discipled. And so number three, uh, not just information, and instruction, not just imitation, but uh, replication. So the invitation book in one, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Phrase that a little differently. Jesus might say, when I'm done with our time together, you will be prepared to not just be a disciple, but make disciples. Okay, I think a looming question, if you're, if you're honest, just pretend like this was the first time that you were reading the Great Commission in Matthew 28, I think a looming question would be, okay, who is he talking to? He's very clearly giving a command to go make disciples of all nations, but who in the world is he talking to? Is that applicable just to the 11 disciples or does that extend beyond them? And uh, virtually every commentator that I have read says it just is absolutely very, very apparent that Jesus is looking at 11 people, but he is talking talking to every Christian, okay? So if you 
would say you believe the gospel, you belong to Jesus, you would describe yourself as a Christian, Jesus has given you the command to not just be a disciple, but to go and make disciples. And if we miss that, we miss it all. All right, like that's the command he's given us to go and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. That's how the gospel has gotten to us 2,000 years later because the Holy Spirit has used Christians to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. So, like, who is he talking to? I, I think it's so clear and apparent that he is giving a command to all Christians. So when he says, and it really means as you go, the weight in the original language when Jesus is speaking this is not go, it's, it's as you go, as you live your life, make disciples. The command is to make disciples. As you go, as you live your life, as you work your job, as you engage with family and friends and coworkers, make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And so replication is the third thing where not just are you getting the information, seeing it lived out uh, in, 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 in a replicatable way, then all throughout Jesus' ministry between the bookends, he's constantly giving them a chance to go do it, right? Uh, there, there are certain times where he just sends them out normally by twos to go do certain things and put it into practice. But then the ultimate is Matthew 28 when he finally says, now you've got what you need, go and replicate yourselves. Make disciples that make disciples. Okay, what does this look like for us? For us Christians, people trying to, by the grace of God, follow Jesus, learn what it looks like to live like him, to obey him, to be examples to each other. What does it look like? First, I want to just kind of set a, set a backdrop to discipleship, um, really a gospel-centered backdrop because we are a gospel-centered, missional family. There's a way in which we can try to go about discipleship in a way that's not centered around what Jesus has already done, and that's a disaster. If we just walk in and try and help people act like Jesus without being transformed by the gospel, it's not helpful. So I want to separate people into two categories. First is the non-Christian. What does this first step of discipleship look like for the non-Christian? And the answer is the gospel to believe that God loves you, that he wants to embrace you, wants to forgive you, wants a relationship with you, and he's provided a way to do that through what Jesus has done for us um, so that we get to come to him by grace. And, and that's why Jesus says, go make disciples and baptize them, right? Because like sometimes we try to separate baptism and evangel or, or, or discipleship and evangelism, right? Like evangelism is sharing the good news to people that aren't Christians and, and discipleship will say is kind of maturing people that are Christians. But Jesus, do he doesn't seem to see it that way. He, he seems to see that discipleship is using the gospel to help people that are not Christians understand their need for Jesus and his abundant grace for them. The gospel is what transforms someone from a non-Christian to a Christian, right? The gospel. And I, listen, I hope and I pray 
that we baptize some of you this month, this year. You say, that, 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 that wow, Jesus came for me. God loves me. And maybe you've kind of bumped up against the, your ability to change yourself. Uh, who knows? Maybe New Year's resolutions have helped you uh, figure that out. You're like, I did so well for four days. Now it's all falling apart. I just, I'm not really good at changing myself. Good news. Jesus changes people. God forgives people. God embraces people through what Jesus has done. So if you're not a Christian, your first invitation is not to try to be more like Jesus, but it's to embrace Jesus. And then we'll baptize you. Jesus said, he said, go, make disciples. And those ones that first begin their journey, baptize them. So what is the ingredient for discipleship for the non-Christian? The gospel. Okay. Well, what about for the Christian? What's the main ingredient? Somebody say it the gospel. It's the same thing. Because we're gospel-centered people, that means both evangelism and sanctification fall underneath a gospel-centered discipleship. And this is what I mean by gospel-centered discipleship. I want to take the example just for a moment of an orphan. Let's say that you have an orphan that is living in an orphanage. And I actually got to witness this one time when I was in Guatemala. Uh, we were visiting an orphanage in, uh, in a small village in Guatemala. Uh, and I was, happened to be there uh, on a day when there was two prospective families coming in to um, tr try to see if there was a good match for them to adopt a kid. Uh, and I was there for a little bit before these uh, two families showed up um, to see the kids and to interact with them and to play and to sing some songs and to have some fun, play some games. Uh, and then when those two families families came in, those kids changed very quickly because they were trying to get everything in order um, so that they might be perceived as incredible, well-behaved, really good moral kids so that they might earn this place to be taken home. Okay? That's a lot of pressure. That's option one. Option two is a kid that has already been adopted and brought into the family and legally belongs to the family is absolutely relationally safe and intact in that family. Now that kid's saying, God, I love my parents. I want to be like them. But those are very different things. Both of them are trying to act and live a certain way, but they're driven by wildly different things. That's why it's important for us, to, Jesus says, go and teach people to obey everything I've commanded. Not so that God might accept us if we crush it and do really well, but because he already has. It's important that we're gospel-driven in our discipleship. So if Jesus did it by instruction, by imitation, and by replication, then the question is, okay, I'm, I'm serious about trying to obey Jesus, and he's given us this very clear, great commission. Now, what do I do? I don't know. I've never really uh, been involved in discipleship, whether it was receiving or giving. What do I do? And I just want to spend a few moments talking through that. Number one, if you're going to be a disciple and make disciples, I think it's wise to follow the same path Jesus did, all right? I think it's wise to look at what he did and try and replicate that. That seems to be what the disciples did. So uh, instruction is an incredible, it's an important part of our journey. If you are going to be a disciple and make disciples, instruction is very important, okay? Meaning... Um, 
coming to worship uh, with a, a church family and sitting under the word of God and listening to preaching every week, that's incredibly important because that's the information um, that we need. So I want to encourage you this year uh, to be incredibly faithful at being part of listening to God's word in a corporate setting. I also want you to think about, uh, like we've got some equipped classes um, that will be coming up um, this spring and this year that will give incredibly good information at very specific uh, parts of your life as a Christian. Uh, that's a place to get information. Uh, for the men in the room, this month we're kicking back up again, 360 degree man, where we give incredibly clear information about what does it look like to be a disciple. Uh, there's some women's events and Bible studies coming up uh, where you can go and you can get the good, the right biblical uh, information. Uh, your own personal Bible reading, your own personal devotions, uh, or reading through the Word of God with uh, a fight club. Like there's a lot of different ways uh, where we gather the information. Okay, but it, it, like it has to move beyond that. So that's step one for this year, to, to put yourself in the place where you can get all of the good gospel Bible information. But then Jesus said, and this one trips me up a lot, uh, just thinking about my position and the responsibility that he's given uh, me and the elders and the leaders to, to, to shepherd the church. Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples by teaching people to what? I need you to say it louder. By teaching people to, by teaching people to obey. That's so different than teaching people to know things. True? Right? Or even memorize things or even believe things. Jesus didn't say that. He goes, go teach people to know stuff. The world doesn't need Christians that know stuff. The world needs Christians that know and believe and do actually live our lives like Jesus. Like, so the information, it can't, some of you, you've been in Bible studies your whole life and it's not changed a lot. Like you're like, I know a ton about repentance, don't repent a lot. I know a ton about evangelism, never share the gospel with anybody. Know a ton about generosity on paper, really struggle with it. Know a ton about serving your spouse, yet very, very selfish. Like, like there's a way in which we, we really struggle to get beyond the information. Jesus said, this is a disciple. Some, teach them to obey to do. Y'all have heard me share this probably multiple times, but I remember uh, leading a Bible study with a bunch of uh, young college men back in uh, Dallas, and we were walking through the book of James, which is a wildly practical book. A lot of very practical things in the book of James to do. And I remember we memorized portions, we challenged each other, memorized, we looked at uh, what the Greek said in James, and I think all those things are fantastic. But I remember when we finished our few-month journey through the book of James thinking, we did it. We did it. We crushed it. We studied the heck out of this thing. We memorized it. Some of the guys maybe even got tattoos. I don't know. But we like, oh my gosh, like we knew the book of James. And then I was like, what's next? Like, well, let's move on to learning something else. And the Holy Spirit very pointedly said, like, there was a lot of stuff in that book you're supposed to do. Like, to, there's, there's command that you read in James that says, pure an undefiled religion is this to look after widows and orphans in their distress. And I remember thinking, well, I memorized it. There was not a single widow that cared that I memorized it. Right, so we got to work. Like, what does it look like not to know things? That's not a disciple. 
Jesus said, teach them to obey. So we need the teaching. We need a steady diet of God's word from corporate gatherings down to personal Bible study and everything in between. And then I think we have to have the imitation portion. And this goes two ways. Uh, For you to have... Uh, and, and this is multiple. This isn't just like you adopt one mentor that can help you uh, in your discipleship in every area of your life. Most of us are going to have a lot of different people that we pull from. But you need to have an example that you can go to and you need to be an example for someone else. Because that component is part of Jesus' design for discipleship. That's why we can't remove discipleship from just the, the nitty-gritty relationships with people. It's not just a sterile classroom thing. It's got to involve people. I have been encouraged so deeply by some people in this church who are like embodying what does it mean to be faithful to Jesus and to learn to obey him. And they're a step or two ahead of me in a lot of different ways as a, as a, as a father, as a, as a husband, even as a pastor. And it, they help me put skin on the information that I have to see. This is what it looks like to be faithful. So I want you to consider like what place in your life are you struggling to be discipled and who can you go to as an example where they can help you see this is what it looks like or who can you be that example for? Paul said something, I forget where it's at. It's in the Bible. (laughs) He said something that It had to be applicable in his culture or he would not have said it, but I think it just, it has to be exponentially more necessary and powerful in our culture. He said, you've got countless guides in Christ, but you have few fathers. Do you remember that? He said, like, there's countless people telling you what to do and giving you the information. You just don't have very many people that are in your life that are providing an example. It's like, you've got countless guides on Facebook telling you how to live your life, but you got few people where you can go sit down and have coffee with them and they can help you. You need information, you need teaching, but you need to have and to be a living, breathing example. There's a reason Jesus came as incarnate. There's many reasons. One of which is to take the information and to show us in a human form, what does it look like to be godly? Okay. You need to have that and you need to be that. And then third, well, So you might say, well, what are are some ways that I can find that? I recognize I need somebody, a handful of people in my life to help me on my journey of discipleship. Uh, Community groups, fantastic place to find some relationships where you can help each other. Uh, Start a fight club with someone that you uh, respect and you want to learn from. Just simply ask someone out for coffee. Uh, Ask them to uh, spend some time with you weekly, monthly. Uh, I promise you, if you ask someone, they're going to be honored and willing to help. Ask them to to help disciple you. I've done this many, many times over the course of my life. Look for meals, um, help out uh, in the youth if you want to be an example, help out in Redeemer Kids. Uh, This is taking place with 250 kids across the street this morning, living, breathing examples, trying to give information and give an example of what it looks like. Instruction, devote ourselves this year to a steady diet of God's word, Imitation, laboring to have examples and be an example, and the number three, replication. Okay, who, who in your life might God use you as a tool in their life to help them on their journey to follow Jesus?
There's so many ways to get involved with this. And there's maybe potential for you feeling this and feeling a sense of guilt or shame that maybe you've been a Christian a long time and haven't really done this, haven't really purposefully tried to make disciples, uh, maybe neglected the one command Jesus gave us in the Great Commission. I don't, I don't want you to feel guilt and shame. I think probably most of that's on me uh, and us not uh, giving these challenges and being very um, dedicated to the foundational and basic elements of the Great Commission. But I do think you need to think like, is this a cruise ship or is this a battleship? Because with the church of Jesus, there, there, he has not designed it where there's any spectators. He hasn't designed it where anybody shows up just to look at the ice sculptures and to have all of their needs met while everybody serves them. He has designed it as a battleship where everyone is involved in the mission. Every single Christian is commanded by Jesus to use their life to make disciples, to replicate themselves. How do we do that? Number one, I would say start in your family. Okay, start in your family. Some of you, you've got kids and you've never actively seen your role as a mom or a dad as the primary discipler of your children, yet that's the case. Start just by opening the Bible, reading, having conversations, teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to confess their sin, teaching them how to suffer well, teaching them how to give financially, how to be uh, faithful. Like, teaching them what does it look like to follow Jesus in a very purposeful way. Start there. Start there. Uh, uh, community group, what an incredible place to learn to be a disciple and to help make disciples. Grab some meals, have some uh, follow-up with some people in your community group and just have very purposeful conversation. I think we make discipleship so complicated sometimes. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so, there, there's programs. and No, no, no. Have some coffee and talk about Jesus and open your Bible. Like it's so simple and yet we can neglect it so easily. Start with relationships that you have. Be purposeful. Open the Bible. Start a fight club. Uh, connect with uh, Redeemer kids and be purposeful in making disciples of another generation. Uh, connect with our youth ministry where you're uh, actively trying to disciple someone else. Maybe you start a Bible study with some people that you work with. You say, listen, every Friday at lunch, we're going to open up the Bible. Would you like to come? You'd be surprised at the people that might say yes. Jesus said... Matthew 4, he says, you come follow me, you be my disciple, and I'll teach you to be fishers of men. And then he instructs them, this is the values of the kingdom of heaven. This is what it looks like to be my follower. He gave them a living, breathing example that they could imitate, and then he sent them out to replicate that. In Matthew 28, he says to, he's looking at 11, but he's talking to you. He said, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's the mission of the church, to spread the glory of God through the gospel of Christ by making disciples that make disciples. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you might give us just a sturdy amount of grace and urgency to be about the mission that you have given us. I thank you that you never called us to do anything that you yourself weren't 
going to do first and provide an example for us. So God, I just pray very specifically for uh, our people, for, for, for this church in Midland, Texas, for Redeemer, that you would help us be a people of discipleship. God, for each one in this room that belong to you already, God, I pray that you would help us to truly labor to be disciples, not just to be fans of Jesus, not just to gather all of our information, but to truly live grace-driven lives where we look like you. God, I pray that every person in this room, that you would steer them towards a way where they can make disciples. They can invest their life in helping someone else learn what it looks like to follow you. And God, for anyone in this room that's not a Christian, I pray that your grace and your kindness and your forgiveness, your desire to have them and your desire to change them would draw them in. God, I pray that they would confess their need to you and that you would save them and that you would begin a work that's just an incredible change in their lives. God, I pray that you would allow us to baptize a lot of new believers this year. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful to your commission. We're thankful for it. We're thankful for you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for living in our place, for dying in our place, and for calling us to be part of the mission. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.